0: Hello, and welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm your host, Emily Gregg. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our institute faculty covering the latest cutting edge research in regenerative medicine. Good afternoon. Today we have with us Dr. Jeremy Mao, a professor of orthopedic surgery, cell biology, dental medicine and the biomedical engineering department at Columbia University. He is an Edwin S. Robinson endowed professor of dentistry as well as the co-director for the Center of Craniofacial Regeneration. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, So, in doing some research for this podcast, I was very intrigued that you are an oral surgeon, but also a research scientist. So, I'd love to start out by talking about your education and your training background. Um, So, I know that you received your initial education in China and then proceeded with your PhD at the University of Alberta in Canada. So, can you tell our audience about your early education and and what brought you to Canada?
1: Right. So, I... um was I had a neck surgeon uh, in China and operated on patients for four years, uh, no research at all. Um, so in China, just given the the massive population, so mm-hmm. the you know just with trauma, um, you know, cleft palate and uh, uh, you know cancer cases and reconstruction. Uh, so so th- you know in, you 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 d- never a dull moment. So you're really. Um, always busy in the hospital, in the wards, um, operating in the OR. So that experience was uh, really quite phenomenal uh, as a young surgeon. Um, I worked real hard, holidays, I would have the one who would volunteer, hey, I'm single, I, I, I can do all these <laughs> things. Uh, um, and, and then, you know, at some point I felt there gotta be more in life than, you know, um, taking care of patients, which by itself is obviously an honor. Uh, so I uh, moved. I went to Canada and did a PhD in bioengineering. That sort of changed my career path.
0: So after your residency in Canada, you joined the faculty at the University of Illinois in Chicago, and then went on to Columbia University several right. years later. So how did you get interested in the world of academia and research?
1: Yeah, so I think, again, that's you know part of the PhD training. Uh, in that process, I sort of transformed from a clinician thinking to a, uh, you know, gain uh, the abilities to ask questions, uh, try to challenge some of the paradigm, and try to zoom in onto some specific, um, you know, problems in science. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was initially very interested in uh, cell biology and also the interaction between cells and extracellular matrix. Mm-hmm. So after many years of training, uh, actually there was the University of Pittsburgh that offered me the first academic job. Okay. So I arrived Pittsburgh and that was in the mid-90s. Uh, it happened to be a time when tissue engineering started to become a discipline uh, wi- with Professor Langer and Van Kante's paper in 1993 in science that uh, tissue engineering paper signify the, the sort of the morph of the tissue engineering uh, as a field. So as a junior faculty, um, you know, who know a few things about cell culture, about extracellular matrix, mm-hmm. uh, it was really, before tissue engineering, y- the knowledge is to discover more of science. Mm-hmm. But once there was tissue engineering, then, y- you know, many folks at a time, figured, well, you know, the knowledge I've learned can actually be utilized to manipulate the stem cells and potentially to um, heal certain tissue and organ defects and, you know, potentially the long run actually to regenerate a, a you know, an organ. So that was uh, a huge inspiration at, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think I was really lucky to, um, you know, to, to get a faculty job and then to, uh, at a time when tissue engineering started to morph into a new discipline. So that was really exciting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you were right there at a really good time, you know, whenever tissue engineering was sort of being pioneered. Was that exciting? That's,
1: that's absolutely exciting. And you know, at the time, the community was very small, right? Mm-hmm. So the meetings were, you know, a hundred people, a little more than that, and you'll get to know everybody. Now the society is a few thousand people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the field is becoming more exciting.
0: Right, And And right.
1: it's uh, getting uh, almost impossible to know everybody who, <laughs> <laughs> who will be at the meeting. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 um, then I moved from Pittsburgh to University of Illinois. Uh, so the, the, between the two institutions, I was there for about 10, 11 years. Mm-hmm. And then I was recruited to Columbia about 12 years ago. Okay. Uh, and throughout this past, the science hasn't really changed. It's just mm. step by step, we were able to uh, gain more understanding of these uh, musculoskeletal structures. So mm-hmm. these are bone, cartilage, tendon, mm-hmm. joints. Um, and so, you know, uh, th- th- these happen to be the structures that are, uh, once they are injured, uh, they really have a uh, very limited, innate ability to heal. Uh, so, y- you know, the cartilage injuries rarely heal. Um, and then, you know, when the pathology uh, continue to progress, then people get osteoarthritis, mm-hmm. uh, which is a severe debilitating disease. Um, tendons don't typically heal by themselves. And, um, you know, bone fracture, some bone fracture heal, others don't heal. Uh, so there are the clinical challenges are quite severe. And uh, as scientists, and uh, especially if you have had exposure to patient care, you know how um, d- demanding these um, body defects are. So that uh, becomes a source of inspiration to mm-hmm. try to come up with solutions, uh, try to heal some of these tissue defects.
0: That's great. So then fast forwarding a little bit, in 2010, you became the co-director of the Center for Craniofacial Regeneration at Columbia. So what kind of work is being done at the center? And maybe even talk about some of your latest projects.
1: Right. So I think the center was um, founded with the idea that, you know, to heal any body defect, uh, whether it's skin, bone, or cartilage, uh, or even down the road with internal organs that you need the expertise of multiple disciplines of of scientists, right? So not only in uh, cell biology, molecular biology, but also genetics, Mm -hmm. uh, biomaterials, Mm -hmm. uh, engineers that could build uh, different uh, bioreactors and now, you know, 3D printing. Uh, And so you need a broad uh, collaboration and of these different expertise to work on to solve some of the really tough and complex problems. And mm-hmm. if, you know, for patients with um, cartilage defects, if they don't heal, there is a reason they don't heal in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, the the solutions are not immediately obvious. Otherwise, we would have solved the problem a mm-hmm. long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so some sup- the latest projects, I, th- I think, you know, after we had a number of publications on the Regeneration of bone, uh, cartilage, tendon, uh, tooth, different dental structures. Uh, the latest projects are uh, are more uh, cross cutting, and um, we 've been uh, very much into gene sequencing and protein assays to look for single molecules that may regenerate different tissues and organs so um, and a lot of this involves collaboration with system biologists and we look at um, massive amount of data. For example, all the genes that are in uh, the cells of a particular tissue that mm-hmm. are of interest. Uh, so it's been uh, quite a journey. So through the help from system biologists and, and folks who, you know, have the capacities to process a large amount of data. You know we're talking about thousands of genes, hundreds of proteins, mm-hmm. thousands of proteins, but right. uh, among all these, what proteins maybe there's a single one, maybe there's a cluster of them, they potentially could regenerate you know the cardiac muscle, they could potentially regenerate that cartilage you know the defects that mm-hmm. in the cartilage mm-hmm. uh so these um the knowledge is not there, so that uh, it requires lot of uh, deep analysis of large amount of data. Uh, but, uh, you know, through a number of tissues that we've been working on, it looks certainly uh, plausible that the single molecules could be identified. Uh, oftentimes, they are specific for different tissues. Right. That uh, uh, Just like the stem cells, and, and y- you know, if you want to stem cells, the progenitor cell to regenerate the bone, you certainly don't want to use the wrong stem cells that you regenerate cardiac muscle, that it's a beating in your bone. That, that's mm-hmm. totally cool, but that's not <laughs> what you want. Right. right. That's not going to be good for the patient. Right. But then these molecules, that the, uh, in, in a very similar fashion, that if you can uh, identify some of these molecules that, uh, you know, the indeed they have the regenerative capacity, then that uh, seems to me that's an important um, milestone for the regeneration of uh, different tissues.
0: And I know that some of your research has included topics such as dental pulp regeneration, stem cell regeneration of the mandible, and even some TMJ disorders. Right. Um, So those seem like very... Well, you come from what seems like two very different fields of study, right? Dentistry and regenerative medicine. Right. But they actually seem to complement each other right. quite nicely. Right. Um, so, is that surprising to you? And, and how did you learn about regenerative medicine techniques for dental issues?
1: Right. So the dental issues are more of my clinical background, and there, you know, there's certainly a huge clinical need uh, for regeneration of these dental structures, and they share lot of the commonalities uh, to musculoskeletal problems, the bone, the cartilage, uh, these are all what we call connective tissue. So they are, you know, structural tissue, whether it's a tooth, whether it's a bone, whether it's a joint, and there is a structure to it. Um, so a lot of, at a fundamental level, a um, lot of the issues are similar. They, they You know, these are cross-cutting issues. Mm-hmm. So it's been a huge benefit uh, for me to having uh, been involved in tissue engineering from the very beginning, Mm -hmm. and later it sort of morphed itself into regenerative medicine, uh, to be able to look at some of the issues that are cross-cutting. And when we started working on, for example, the dental pulp regeneration, uh, we were trying to come up with a uh, therapy that regenerates the pulp. Rather than current root canal that, you know, fo- following a current root canal treatment, then the, the pulp is devitalized. Mm-hmm. So, a tooth is an organ and it's a complex organ. Uh, the pulp tissue is mostly nerves and blood vessels. Mm-hmm. And then we came up with an injectable, um, once it's delivered, um, including in, in, in a small cohort of patients, that the pulp would regenerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, With the TMJ project, and it was really, you know, that was after we worked on the the knee joint, the shoulder joint, Uh, then the TMJ was uh, more or less neglected. Uh, Not many people were focusing on it just because, you know, you do need some background knowledge and to pay attention to that particular area. Uh, It turns out there are a lot of uh, patients who suffer from TMJ problems, uh, more women than men, uh, for reasons that 's not entirely clear, so we uh, started working in that area um, and this I think this was when I was in Chicago. We came up with a way to regenerate the cartilage and the bone uh, in a unified layer. Uh, mm-hmm. That was work quite a few years ago. of course, science has been developing uh, since then and, uh, and and you know to, to come up with better ways to regenerate the tmj that 's still um, you know that, uh, an approach that eventually would work in patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, in science, um, you know, we come up with different models, and among all these models, uh, one or two or few probably would eventually be consistent for clinical application. I think it's through the basic studies that we gradually approximate or identify these models mm-hmm. that eventually um, would work in patients, and hopefully it will make a difference in the patient's uh, mm-hmm. life.
0: Yeah, I have to say, um, this particular area was very interesting to me, especially when um, I was doing research about you and your work. One of the one of the things I read that really sticks out in my mind was in one of the papers that was published from one of your um, research projects. It said that um, tooth decay is the largest form of organ failure. or you t- I'm paraphrasing. I, I believe we said
1: something like that. Yes, and yeah. I,
0: but that struck me as so unusual. I'd never thought about it that way, but it really right. is quite important.
1: Right. So, uh, uh, you know, a tooth, again, the tooth is on organ, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in, in w- from a, at a biological level, mm-hmm. a kidney is on organ, mm-hmm. you know, the heart is on organ, and the tooth has multiple tissues. And in humans we sort of take it for granted if if you know, I lose a tooth I can go to my dentist and get a implant. And uh but then, you know, the tooth regeneration, the the, the implants are uh have had high success rates, uh but then there are issues as well, mm-hmm. right? So it's a metal mm-hmm. uh in the mouth and, and if not placed correctly, uh then, you know, there could be Inflammation going on and, and uh, leading to a to a failure mm-hmm. uh, and to be able to regenerate a tooth that's the eventual goal of this mm-hmm. you know scientific community. You um, certainly uh, a if a tooth can regenerate that has its clinical implications uh, and b um, you know the regeneration of a tooth is not as risky a project as regeneration of the vital internal organs. And mm-hmm. then chances are uh, these are um, multi-tissue organs mm-hmm. that you, you know, chances are we'll learn very important clues from regenerating the tooth that may be applicable to the regeneration of liver, for example. Uh, so l- at a biological level, at a fundamental level, it's all the cell-cell signaling. You know, the one type of cell communicating with another type of cell. Uh, the signals, a lot of the uh, important genes and transcription factors are actually the same for different organs. Uh, so that's, you know, when nature figures out a way to, um, re- to to grow a tooth, to grow other organs or tissues, it's not exactly all the same, but mm-hmm. some of the key signals are actually uh, are actually this very similar or the mm-hmm. same. It's like a recombination of different signals mm-hmm. so that the mm-hmm. stem cells will become a liver uh, mm-hmm. versus a tooth, and eventually they, they become totally different organs. But mm-hmm. at a very fundamental level, uh, some of the regulating uh, regulatory pathways, uh, they do share similarities.
0: I think that's a really great point. Um, in your presentation today, titled Regeneration of Endogenous Stem Cells, you talked about new ways to heal bone and the role that platelets play in that process. So specifically, right. you mentioned a study that your team conducted showing that there was no real different difference in the platelet-rich plasma, or PRP, versus the saline control. So can you tell our listeners... Um, more about that study and how concentrations and injection sites sort of played a role.
1: Right, so platelet-rich plasma, or PRP, uh, has gained a lot of public attention. Uh, It's being utilized uh, in the medical community uh, in multiple tissues and organs. And um, when my lab got interested in PRP several years ago with the motivation that this is utilized very broadly in the clinic, um, but a lot of the basic understanding is not quite there. Actually, the clinical community, uh, in multiple publications, would readily uh, conclude that you know we need better understanding of the PRP. So, Emily, the paper you refer to was actually not our study. was a mm. paper in uh, New England Journal of Medicine several okay. years ago, and. PRP was injected in one group of elite athletes, and the control group received saline, the placebo, and th- it didn't show any difference. Mm. But then there were other papers showing, you know, the group of patients that received PRP do tend to have benefits, so that in science, you got to reconcile what the PRP work where it does not work. So that's still, you know, and, and, and PRP is injected from hair to toe, right? Different tissues for different um, pathological conditions. And, and lots of them are sports injuries, uh, arthritis. And uh, so, so the clinical implications are, are, are um, quite substantial. So then, you know, in science, um, we are obligated to understand more of these what's in the PRP, there are a few hundred proteins in the PRP, M- most of them are not that well understood uh, in the context of, of tissue regeneration in uh, regenerative medicine. So that was a clinical motivation to look into all the ingredients of PRP mm. and see how, you know, what are the key ingredients as far as regeneration is concerned. And mm-hmm. then you have different tissues and organs. and. Conceptually, you probably have different factors that are responsible for different tissues and organs, right. if they're if they are there at all. Right. So, but it, you know, to simply use PRP as a mixed bag of things, um, it, uh, the convenience is that you know it's it's um, autologous, right? So you collect right. PRP from the patient's blood and it goes back to the same patient. Uh, but then the efficacy, the eventual understanding of the ingredients uh, would be. In my mind, very important right. for how, um, you know, hopefully to come up with something more specific, mm-hmm. um, you know, and at least to understand uh, mm-hmm. what's in PRP and how PRP could be efficacious or may not be that efficacious for a particular uh, disorder.
0: Right, that makes sense. Most recently, you were named the Co-Director for the Translational Therapeutics Program at Columbia. So what has it been like to work so closely with NIH and be a part of clinical trials? Yeah,
1: so that's a you know, a very large program Columbia received uh, through the CTSI, right. So it's a, it's a way uh, that NIH promotes uh, clinical and translational research. And uh, at Columbia, uh, there are different programs, uh, training programs, um, you know, the, the clinical acceleration programs, mm-hmm. and then I was involved in the uh, space of uh, translational therapeutics. So we have uh, pilot grants and uh, boot camps and trying to help our colleagues to move a few steps further towards, um, you know, technology development. So mm-hmm. this is, a lot of this is to go from benchtop Mm-hmm. Step by step, to assays development, to identify the targets, uh, even you know FDA expertise, and uh, so to you know so that folks could move their technology a few steps further towards the eventual translation uh, and hopefully clinical use. So that's been a really enriching experience uh, to look at uh, a broad range of proposals. So this is, could be relevant to um, y- you know all kind of medical conditions. Uh, you know the the cardiac applications, uh, mm-hmm. cancer, diabetes, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's that's been a real enriching experience to get involved and, and to um, you know help work with colleagues and and you know help to advance their technologies.
0: Great! It sounds like exciting work. Um, In addition to all of your other previously discussed roles, you're also a mentor and a thesis advisor. And many of our audience members are young scientists. So what advice do you have for anyone who's interested in studying regenerative medicine and maybe even dental regenerative medicine?
1: Right. So, you know, for, um, you know, our young trainees, whether you are, you know, becoming a uh, Ph.D. student or even you are, you know, an undergrad who is looking for an area to study, uh regenerative medicine is at a uh very important uh point uh in the development and the the you know there's the the promise of eventual uh potential to regenerate a kidney or a liver uh that's still there and it has not been accomplished so if you have a dream to be able to regenerate you know an internal organ mm-hmm. uh i mean that's that's a, probably a lifelong goal mm-hmm. and that's a Uh, certainly a uh, huge challenge that would require all your talents and all your creativity that you would gain during the training. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there are more, you know, conceptually shorter term goals, right? So if Mm a patient have, you know, lost a... Uh, area of skin due to trauma or due to burn, then, you know, is it possible to regenerate the skin? Then, mm-hmm. You know, it's external. One can actually visualize and see. Mm-hmm. Um, then when it comes to dental craniofacial, a uh, lot of these are, again, superficial. Mm-hmm. And the clinical demand demand is, is quite substantial as well. So you're, you know, talking about, about 18 million patients who have root canals done each year in the United States. So these are stag- staggering uh, numbers of patients uh, who could benefit from regenerative technologies. And then, you know, th- no matter what area, particular tissue and organ one would choose to work on, mm-hmm. um, then you would find that you actually have a community, and there are other labs that are working on similar issues, maybe using a very different uh, approach. And when you come to professional meetings and, the, you know, you go to during your training, you will see that, you know, even for people who are working on different tissues and organs, you'll learn from them and uh, give you a chance to think outside the box. Um, And, you know, for uh, trainees that are interested in um, stem cell biology in tissue engineering, whether from a biomaterial perspective or from an uh, engineering perspective or from a molecular biology perspective. And when you put the knowledge together, you could really make a difference uh, in, in in a patient's life, whether it's, you know, the, uh, you know, whether it's a bone fracture, whether it's arthritis, whether it's a, you know, a loss of a tooth or whether it's, you know, th- we talk about the internal organs and eventually how to regenerate them mm-hmm. with the discovery of iP- iPS cells. That mm-hmm. potential is certainly, I mean, the goal is much closer than uh, it was a you know, number of years ago.
0: Great. I think that's really great advice. Um, and I guess just as we conclude, do you have any takeaway messages for our audience? Anything? Yeah.
1: You I think sense? I, you know, I hear from you a lot of our audience are young yes. uh, students and and some of maybe even lay folks. And uh, I think, you know, the uh, regenerative medicine really offers the challenge. I mean, it's a mental challenge um, for one to understand the biology, right? So if you know you're trying to regenerate skin or you're trying to regenerate bone, mm-hmm. you need to understand all the cells mm-hmm. and a lot of the molecular signaling that's there. Mm-hmm. And then it integrates with other areas of science, you know, biomaterials, which is a totally entirely different field. Uh, and then you need, some sort of uh, interaction with clinicians as well. And, you know, For our young trainees, mm-hmm. if you uh, plan to study regenerative medicine, uh, maybe, you know, during your, under, your undergrad, during your master's, and during your PhD, and there's still potential, and it's this path has been traveled, that some folks actually go to medical school, where they do the other way around. Yes. Um, they find that, uh, you know, there's that intellectual challenge for you to come up with a tissue or organ that's missing in a patient, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that has not healed by itself, mm-hmm. right? And if you'll come up with some smart ways to uh, make a difference in a patient's life, and that's, uh, you know, certainly uh, very rewarding.
0: I agree. And we will end it there. That's a great note to end it on. <laughs> <Great>. Thanks, <laughs> Thank Sammy. you. It was Thank so you. good to have you. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of the Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at WFIRM News.